on episode 111 of Thoughts from the Shade. We will discuss Penn State football and James Franklin's no-show in another big spot. We'll get ready for Eagles Chiefs. We'll take a look at the Sixers' hot start. We'll have some bones. We'll have some flowers. And as always, we will continue to give out winners at the end of the show. And welcome back, everybody, to Thoughts from the Shade. Follow Thoughts from the Shade. Follow the show at TFTS Pod on Instagram and on Twitter, or as they call it these days, X. Bye week is in the books. We're moving along to the Chiefs, the Super Bowl 57 rematch. Uh, but I think we have to start with what we saw on Saturday in Beaver Stadium, but first let's bring him in. He's got the camo hat on, the Penn State Nittany Lion logo, front and center. How are you, Bomb? Gee, I'm excellent. I'm excellent. Um, I can't wait to get into this with you, but I figured I'd, I could at least show my moral support by wearing the Penn State camo hat. And in my mind, this represents the the wilderness that you, as a as an alumnus, as a, as a big-time fan, as a James Franklin supporter, I would say that this this camouflage represents the wilderness that you yourself are walking through this week after an absolute shellacking at home. I guess you could call me a James Franklin supporter by pure association, um, but I'll have an announcement on that in just a few moments, but I, I just wanted, wanted to start by saying that I'm I'm utterly disappointed, Bomb. I, I am disappointed, and, and you want to know why? We saw what we saw on Saturday. We have a lot of Penn State alumni, a lot of Penn State fans that listen to this show. Uh, the other part of the audience that, that doesn't root for Penn State, you know, they could have gone in, but nobody called into the spot in the shade line. 215-385-5164. If there was ever a week to sound off on JF and Penn State, whether you're a fan, whether you're not, uh, I thought I thought we would have had some juice this week. So a little disappointed in the people, but maybe they're still look, licking their wounds like me. Uh, but we'll look forward to hearing, to, to hearing from some folks down the road. But uh, I just, I need to start. Penn State loses to Michigan on Saturday, 24-15. Obviously, the news breaks Friday uh, that Jim Harbaugh would be suspended uh, from coaching on game day for the remainder of the regular season uh, in light of the sign-stealing investigation uh, and allegations, which we talked about last week with Ty Hildebrand. Um, So you get that news. They try to get it overruled or delayed, whatever you want to call it, whatever the correct legal term is. On Saturday morning, uh, it doesn't work out for Michigan, and Sharon Moore, offensive coordinator, uh, is leading the Wolverines into Happy Valley at 12 o'clock. On Saturday, uh, they didn't need their head coach, uh, and they embarrassed Penn State 24-15 to in front of 110,000 strong at Beaver Stadium. Uh, but I watched the entire game. Uh, 
it was painful. It was not enjoyable, as watching Penn State football in big games always is. Uh, and I took to Instagram Live after the game bomb. I know you're unplugged. And I just had to go on and say it, and I'm going to say it again. I officially disavow, uh, renounce my fandom, my allegiance to Penn State football until James Franklin is no longer the head coach uh, of the team. So I am out. I am officially out. Uh, I guess today is the 14th of November, 2023. Saturday was the 11th. Uh, quick, quick mental math there. As of November 11th, 2023, uh, I am not rooting for Penn State football. I am not wasting my time to watch the games where they're a 30-point favorite or where they're beating up on Maryland. Uh, I will tune in for the big games to enjoy watching uh, some of the other teams that are joining the conference next year uh, with no expectation. I will not be emotionally invested. I will not get upset uh, when Penn State stinks in these spots and embarrasses themselves and embarrasses alumni like me and the fan base and the people that support the university. I will laugh. I will laugh uh, like I do now with the Sixers and the Flyers, uh, teams that I've invested in that have kind of conned me. Uh, I'm out. I'm officially out uh, on Penn State football until J- James Franklin is gone. I'm shocked with that with that statement. I'm shocked with that announcement. Frankly, I think it's disgusting. I think it's despicable. I mean, this is a team that is trending towards a New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, gee, it wasn't that long ago that you were out in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl watching Saquon and the boys. I think now more than ever, this university, this team needs TFTS – and it's and it's host support, and I think if they get a bid to a a Cotton Bowl against a Memphis, I think you and I need to hop on a plane down to Dallas, fly in, cover the cover the team for the week, and support these guys because it's not there aren't that many schools, G, that year in and year out are in the mix for a New Year's Six Bowl, and you just so happen to be an alumnus of one school that consistently finds a way to play in these big games. Granted, not not the biggest, not the, not the playoff, but really meaningful, important bowl games. And, you know, as a guy with no rooting interest, no dog in the fight, I think it's vile. I think it's disgusting that you're abandoning this team that's going to go on and do special things this year. You know, you know what I like in a two-bomb, this, this era of Penn State football under James Franklin? Uh, it's like a young kid going go to the amusement park year after year and, and hoping that he's tall enough to get on the big roller coaster. And every year, he's a late bloomer. He's a late bloomer, folks. He's not tall enough to get on the ride, and he can't go on with the big boys and have a blast and have a shot at, at an unreal experience. That's what rooting for Penn State football under James Franklin has been these last 10 years. And you mentioned Saquon Barkley. It's funny. I've obviously had a lot of conversations since Saturday and and over the years rooting for for this clown. If it wasn't for Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley, uh, it's very likely that James Franklin is already out of a job. Um, And people go back to even Sean Clifford now. People want to, we owe this guy an apology. 
I don't really think we do because we're go- we're going to the same place with Adam this year. This has nothing to do with Sean Clifford. Um, you know, he he got us to the New Year's Six. He got us to ten and two, and even without him, it looks like they'll get there uh, unless they lose to Rutgers in front of what should be a, a very diluted Beaver Stadium on Saturday. I hope it's empty. I hope Shiano and the boys come in and chop it up and find a way to embarrass James Franklin uh, ahead of of Thanksgiving, ahead of Turkey Day. Uh, but Rutgers and Michigan State, I mean, they should get there realistically. So, so Sean Sean Clifford needs no apology. Um, but just so so many so many thoughts, so many feelings. Uh, but I I can't invest emotionally, mentally. Uh, it's it's a waste of time, uh, and, and it's just a joke. We 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 want to be little brother that that's coming to hang out with big brother. Uh, and, and going out and drinking for the first time, or, or something like that. Uh, but we're, we're we're just total losers. That that the rest of the gang, don't, you know, you, you can't bring your little brother. He's he's a dork. He's a loser. Uh, that's that's what Penn State has been under James Franklin. Gee, what did what did you think of my pregame analysis of James Franklin leading the boys out onto the field from the tunnel? Because it seems to me he's got this shtick, this tough guy shtick, but yet he's wearing the transition glasses. You know, they go from regular glasses to sunglasses, so he does not able to. He's not able to figure out what down it is. It's third down. We're going to punt. He's got the bald head. He sometimes has the dumb hat with the big S on it, the flap rim, and he's got those freaking khaki pants hitched up around his armpits, and he's holding the boys back in the tunnel before the game, like they're like they're caged barbarians, ready to, you know, go fight to the death in the in the Coliseum, and they run out. And nary a whimper, G. Nary a whimper. No fight. No, no, no energy. No juice out of this team. But he's holding them back, and and then they and they intru- and here come the Penn State Nittany. What are your thoughts on James Franklin? His ability to motivate this team through his weekly shtick at the gates. Well, I think I think first and foremost, the people should hear, um, you know, James Franklin leading the guys out of the tunnel on Saturday. All right, guys, you hold here. Hang on. All right. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to punt on third down. I'm going to call a draw right at an unblocked Chase Young. All right, you guys ready? Okay. Are we going to be able to throw the ball over 20 yards today? No, we can't. Let's go. Here comes Penn State. I mean, it's spot on. It's spot on. Uh, it's it's just old. Everything about it's old. Um, yeah, I I don't know what to say. He look he looks lost on the sideline as as things go on. I mean, just just to get into the game a little bit, like the defense shows up, and that's great, right? Okay, Manny Diaz was was probably a good hire. I mean, clearly a good hire. The defense is great. And I, I feel bad for those kids. And the, all of my feelings have nothing to do with the kids that have to play with this for this guy. I mean, I think it's, you know, I, I would question their judgment uh, in committing to Penn State. Uh, but I understand that James Franklin can offer, hey, you can come play in front of 110,000 people. And you can play on Big Noon Fox against Michigan and we can be ranked in the top 15 or top 10 and you know people will think we have a chance or you could go to Alabama and sit for three years and maybe never see the field there so so I I get it and and I think about 
the kids in high school that are on the sidelines for these games, you know, they're, they're hosting them, they're doing their official visit. I mean, imagine being a 17, 16-, 17-year-old kid that's a wideout or a running back or a quarterback and going up and watching what you saw Saturday and thinking to yourself, man, I really – I really would come here. I would really flourish here. This 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 would be good for my future. Uh, I get the education. Uh, I get I get it's close to home. If you're you're in PA, Virginia, Maryland, whatever. But it's just it it's so bad. Um, so it's it's got nothing to do with the kids, and the defense shows up. Kudos to them. They they matched Michigan physically for spots in that game and Michigan got theirs as we kind of expected um but you, you get an offensive drive together where you're feeding Nick Singleton early on and you get you get first and goal at the three and you don't convert and you kick a field goal uh that that takes the air out of the can we, balloon can we, t- can we talk about that for a second that sequence because you yeah. said it right they're going right down the field it was a, it was a dominant drive for the most part they're just feeding the rock to the running back and then I don't understand what why these coaches do it. And I think for for as many play callers as Franklin has had, and you saw the bus get backed up over Yersich this week, but for as many play callers as James Franklin has had, there's always baffling play calling in big moments or like down in goal-to-go situations. We saw it when Levis was here. We're going to run Wildcat with our backup quarterback. Like, if you're going to run Wildcat, why not run it with, with a running back? But I, I digress. You get down to first and goal from the three. Most teams in college and the NFL realize that when you get into a goal-to-go situation inside the five, what you generally want to do is spread them out to run, bunch them up to throw. What does Penn State do? They're running like a wing T with motion out to the top of the screen and a sweep behind a lead blocker. First down. So a bunched up thing. Second down. Now we're going to run some other bullshit play with like one guy out on a route where Aller's looking. And then third down out of the first two play calls are bad. What's even lower percentage than that? A fade to like an undersized wide receiver in the back of the end zone to the far side of the field back pylon. I just don't understand that play calling. Like how about a halfback dive three times? And hey, if we're short by a foot, Let's go for it on fourth down. I don't get it, G. Yeah, and, and you, you talked about Yersich, and we can get to that. Obviously, the offensive coordinator was let go on on Sunday. But these have been common themes across five offensive coordinators in 10 years now. Uh, that sequence was atrocious. Uh, I think the next drive, I don't know if we were still up 3 nothing or if it was 3-3 or down 7-3, whatever it was. Uh, but Penn State gets like nine yards on first down, and it's second and one. And they throw a ball at the line of scrimmage, one of those stupid wide receiver screens, to a kid that hasn't caught a ball all year, and Michigan comes right up and makes the tackle. Third and one. I don't know. If, I don't even remember if they ran it, if they passed it, but they didn't get it. So you couldn't convert three yards with a first and goal. You couldn't convert second and one to extend a drive. Uh, there was a play, I believe it was in the second half. It was a fourth down around midfield, might have been slightly in the Michigan territory, and Penn State's trail in the game. And there's all this confusion, so much confusion. You could see how frustrated Aller was, and I didn't really care for his body language, but you understand the frustration because nobody could get lined up. 
They couldn't get the play calls in. So what the hell are you doing all week? That's I'm baffled. Like, what are these guys doing at practice all week under JF? I have no clue because they're not prepared during the game. So it's fourth down. Looks like they're going for it. They can't get the playoff. Burn a timeout. Critical juncture of the game. What do you do? Punt. They punt. Oh, dude, dude. Enjoy. But there's there's a story behind that. Me and the wife are heading out to a party. Okay, it's fourth and one. They go to the commercial. They call. They pop the time out. They go to a commercial. She's finally ready. We're running a little bit late, right? I had been ready for thirty minutes. I was locked in, dressed, ready to go, watching the game. They go. The timeout happens. They go to commercial. She's now ready, and she comes and and grabs the TV remote, G, and turns it off. And I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! It's fourth down. I, I gotta, I gotta stay and and watch how this plays out." And they come back. And they're they're in punt formation. So so your boy Bomb not only disagreed with that call, I caught major flack for making us more late to a party because I thought after the time, oh, we're just gonna get in the right formation, we're gonna pick the right play. No, punt. <laughs> you you turn the TV back on in Penn State's punting the ball a hundred feet. That's correct. <laughs> I mean, that's how un- like when you are willing to get into a verbal altercation with your significant other because you want to watch a fourth down play. That tells you that's not a punt situation. It was a go-for situation. Yeah, it, it, it clearly was. And and I, I really like Joel Klatt, uh, the color guy on Fox. I think he has a great podcast too. Um, free plug for him. But he was saying how it was the right decision in the moment. And your defense is, is playing so well. And there's, there's a point there. But the way your offense was going, like – that's as close as you were getting to the to the red or or to deep in Michigan territory. Like you gotta you gotta take advantage and then hope your defense can hold on a short field the way that game went. And then we saw again in this game with Michigan a fourth and long with like four and a half minutes to go. Penn State has two timeouts left because they burned one to decide to punt on a, a fourth down they should have went for earlier. Uh and they decide to go for this one with four and a half minutes left. Your from defense your has been has been pretty from your own thirty. And your defense has been pretty rock solid all day. You know, you would expect if you're gonna score, it's probably gonna be from your defense or maybe Michigan muffs the punt or something. But no, you le- let's leave the offense on the field. We saw it in the Ohio State game, similar situation, probably a little bit more time left in that Ohio State game, too, maybe six, seven minutes. And it's, it's still within reach, right? I think it's still a one-score game at both of these junctures. And he decides to go for it. They don't get it. And that's he, – he forfeited both of those games. Forfeited. With a, a defense that was playing great, um, with, with timeouts in your pocket, with, with time on the clock, he forfeited those games. And the very next play, Corum takes the handoff to the crib. So he, he he guts his own team, his own defense that has had to stand up for, for the embarrassment of the offense and the play calling and the decision-making on the offensive side of the ball. The defense withstood all that for, for 10 games this year and for three and a half quarters, let's call it seven quarters across the two biggest games. And then Franklin guts them. He, he gives them no chance. And they and they 
They don't give a shit, and you know that next play is going to the house, and that's exactly what happens, and the game's over. He forfeited both of those games. If, I, if I'm Manny Diaz in the defensive unit, I am, I'm pissed off at the world, and, and it's – I mean, they're playing their stones off against Ohio State and Michigan, two top, top three, top four, whatever you want to call them, teams. And you got – not only did you get no help from your offense, you actually got negative help. Like, like they, they put you in the worst situations – you watched a head coach. I mean, we talked about the play calling down at the goal line. They score a touchdown before the end of the first half, and he's holding up the one sign like, oh, we're number one. And then all of a sudden you start seeing him go full Richard Nixon coming off of the presidential chopper. Two. Two, right? And and he's got, he must have the perfect play call because he clearly didn't use it in the first and goal situation from the three earlier in the half. So we got the right play. No, we can't. we can't convert that. And then, to your point, the four-minute decision, that made no sense, four and a half minutes. He did it again. Penn State finally marches down the field. I mean, imagine if they got a stop. Imagine if they got a stop from their defense and got the ball back and then they get down the field and score. They're down nine, and he decides again, just like the four-and-a-half-minute mark, let's end the game here by going for it. I mean, it, it, it boggles the mind. Every other coach says, how do we extend the game? How do we extend the game? Well, you kick the extra point. So he chased, he, he missed the first one in the first half. And I think that kind of kicked him in the shins. And I said it in the moment. Why would you go for this here? Because you got a little bit of a momentum boost by scoring a touchdown before half. Now you're going to go for it? Like, I, I don't think the upside is there. Like, take take the momentum, kick the extra point, go in feeling good about yourself. Instead, you get fucking shut down on a two-point conversion. There were multiple, multiple times in that game where his, I call it fake aggression, it's like guys who run off the field after a strikeout. I call that fake hustle. A bunch of guys did that. Oh, why don't you be more like this guy who runs off the field after a strikeout? It's fake hustle. He was fake aggressive in every situation, and it led them to a loss. Yeah, and I don't know if you were alluding to it or not, um, but, like, yeah, the, the two-point attempt before half kills momentum. And then even when the game is, like, out of reach and Penn State gets that late score to make it 24-15, if you kick the extra point, it's Stand an eight-point game, game. Yep. so it's it's not yep. over, right? You, you give the onside kick team a little juice, like let's go get this mm-hmm. thing. No, let's just go for two. End our game because we 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 haven't scored or moved the ball in a short yardage situation all day, all year against anybody uh, except for UMass. Uh, but now let, let's just let's just end the game here. I mean, why not? So and what's on the play sheet? So I know Yersich is gone. Whatever. But like Franklin, you would think is that he was an he was an offensive guy. He was a quarterback in high school and college, offensive guy, all this stuff, quarterbacks coach, all this stuff coming up. Like typically, I mean, let's talk about Andy Reid, right? One of the greatest minds. You could talk about his big games, whatever, but one of the greatest offensive minds. He's got the big menu, the laminated menu, and he's got plays on there for multiple situations, you know, uh goal to go, two point plays, like does Penn State have the two-point play box from, like, the three? Because we we saw them from inside the three, like, seven times on Saturday. And I don't think one play worked. No. It's funny you mentioned Franklin's background because I would say throughout the entire tenure, um, the offense is what, what's held the, the team back, right? Uh, the defense is usually pretty, pretty stout, but 
He's a former offensive coordinator. He's a former wide receivers coach. He's constantly meddling in the offense, whether people want to believe that or not. It's obvious. Um, but that's that's been your weak link is is offense in, in crunch spots. And that's his, you know, that's his background. Yeah, so. you'd, ha- you'd have a little more. Um, you'd have a little. You'd have a little more leeway for the guy if he was a defensive mind, and it's like, oh man, if we could just get one of these young, high flying coordinators, like a, you know, Lincoln Riley's brother, one of these guys to pair with James Franklin, the head coach, like we could finally have something like. I could kind of see that argument, but to your point, he's an offensive guy. He needs to know better. The only part of the team that works is the defense. He's got nothing to do with it. Yep. Yeah, that's that's why I'm out. That's why I'm out. I don't I don't care who they bring in as the offensive coordinator and and if that guy can work a miracle, um great, but but I I don't believe it because even even if, if Franklin takes his paws off of the offense, He's still the one making the go go for it or punt decisions. He's still the one managing the timeouts and the clock. And he's shown zero ability to do that. Um I we can I mean let's go let's go to the Yersich firing, right? So Sunday they let go of the offensive coordinator. And Monday James Franklin has his press conference, his weekly presser. And of course he comes out, he makes a, a pretty pretty light statement about we had to do what was best for us and thank Mike for all of his contributions. And then he says, I know there will be plenty of questions, but I want to try to keep the attention on the, on this weekend's game against Rutgers. I mean, it's, it's, it's an insult to the media that covers the team. It's an insult to the fan base. He's out of touch. He's not self-aware. You think about the comments he makes about, well, we just lost to number one and number three, and it's not good enough. Or after Ohio State, we just watched two of the best defenses in the country. I think Jenny Taft said she talked to Franklin at halftime of the Michigan game, and he said, we're watching two of the best defenses in the country. Like, that's insulting when when the other half is, is an embarrassment, an absolute embarrassment. Gee, I, I told so, you before, before the game, not to cut you off, but I did. T- you can say this. Like I said this before the game, and then all the memes and the jokes and the tweets came out after, but there there was only one guy who had it before the game. I said, James Franklin is about to be outcoached by a guy sitting in the hotel room right now. And that's what happened. Outcoached by a a stand-in head coach. <laughs> like like by a wide if, margin. Yeah, I, I don't know if I had that on my bingo card for uh, – the James Franklin tenure, but he's he's really knocked them all off. Uh, so so bingo for for me, the Penn State fan. Want to know uh, another? Yeah, Rockers, Rockers, Rockers. Um, another qu- quote from Franklin on Monday regarding the firing of offensive coordinator Mike Yurcich. Uh Franklin indicated that too frequent too frequently we did not call the games as planned or we did not execute the games the way we intended to. Uh, and and one of my boys made a great point. He said, that tells me Franklin isn't a man and doesn't have control of his staff. And I, I think that I think that's a pretty fair point. Um, that's such bullshit. That is such a cop-out. Do you actually think that 
this guy was going rogue while Franklin had, like, it's not like Franklin's walking around like Brady Hoke with no headset on. You know what I, you know what I mean? He's got the headset on. Yeah, he's he's not he's not Joe Paterno at the end. Yeah, I mean like, I mean what are we talking about here? Hey James, there's a little feature. Turn the mic on and say, "Run the fucking football." Yep. Yeah, and and the O line and and the backs, you know, for periods of that game actually did good in the run game. They they did well in the run game. They moved the ball a little bit on the ground against Michigan. Um, so I, like. I don't I don't know where else to go. So I'm I'm gonna step away as a as a full fledged fan and uh it's just embarrassing and people can say, Well, oh like at least we're at least we can go ten and two and at least we can go to a New Year's six. Um you know, that's that's a luxury that a lot of schools don't have. Well, you know what else is a luxury a lot of schools don't have is is thinking they're better than they are and, and having a head coach that constantly tells you that they're better than they are and, and tries to sell you a bad product. Like Penn state nationally has become a joke in despite of winning 10 games, you know, every other year and going to the new year six Penn state is a joke nationally. They're a joke locally for people that, that aren't, aren't alumni or fans of the program. They, they've become a joke under James Franklin. And that is why I'm stepping away. You know who they remind me of on the pro side? Buffalo Bills. I, I got a better comp because they're always overhyped. The quarterback always stinks. The coaching is always bad. They're the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, everyone tells you they're better than they are. They are what they are. They're like a better than mediocre team, but they'll never win anything. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I just... I watched I watched the Buffalo game last night and I had Denver great great win for me. Uh, follow me on Sharps TFTS P- Pod G. Um, but I saw Sean McDermott, another clueless looking coach on the sideline. Uh, I saw Josh Allen, a guy who's quickly becoming Carson Wentz 2.0, turning the ball over at will. Uh, and they fired their OC Ken Dorsey today. So uh, that 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 was my thought off the rip. But yeah, Penn State is. I, I think it's spot on, Bob. Penn State is the, is the Dallas Cowboys of of college football, but yeah, that, that's I I think that's all I got. Uh, I I don't like I said I don't care who the new OC is. I don't care. I have no faith in Franklin to bring in the right guy or give him the the reins, so to speak, um, to implement his own style of offense. I know for a fact that won't happen. So. Uh, yeah, we'll 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 look forward to to the hire and shitting down our leg in big games and hopefully you know Pete, that's the other thing. Well, we haven't seen him yet in this new new alignment and new playoff structure. Like it's going to be the same thing we're seeing in, in week in. week eight and week ten. You know what I mean? What's the difference? Yeah. So my my hope is that they revert and, and go backwards and lose more games to Washington, to USC, to UCLA, to Oregon, like. There should there will be more regular season losses. Yeah, those teams aren't Maryland. It'll be a three or a four loss season every year. Yep. Well, the thing, and so, I know I I kind of say this ad nauseum every time Penn State comes up, and I, I just don't understand what the fan the fan base is fearful of. Um, they're fearful of like irrelevance, I guess. 
because they want to have their Saturdays, they want to have their, you know, tailgates and the fucking ice cream and the whole thing. The creamery. Oh, the creamery. But you look at a program like Florida State that, you know, again, legendary coach retires. Bowden's gone. They win one with Jimbo. They get back to the CFP the following year. They they win the last BCS championship. Then they get back to the CFP. Then they really crash out. Jimbo leaves. Uh, Willie Taggart comes along. That program looks like absolute ass. And now they're back again with Norvell. So I just I just have to wonder, like, what is it that Penn State fans are so fearful of? Like, I'd rather crash and flame out and keep moving on to the next coach until you find the guy that's going to, like, lead you to a college football playoff. Yeah, you can still go tailgate and eat ice cream and go to the game and wear your blue and white and, and be proud that you went to school there under a new coach. There, there's nothing wrong with that. And what more do you need to see from James Franklin? What more can, can he do? Um, I just think, like, I agree with <clears throat> I, I agree with you. Excuse me. And I think I said this to you and, and a lot of other folks, but like, you can't tell me that there isn't a guy out there because that's the other thing. Who's out there? Who who could we get that's better? Get me somebody that can recruit half the talent that Franklin can, but can coach a thousand times better, or can coach ten, ten times better. I mean, there's plenty of people out there. And we probably don't even know some of their names that can coach better than James Franklin. Well, gee, if you're comfortable with it, I'd love to propose a name. I'd love to hear it. How would you like, as a Penn State alumnus and a guy who's now out on out on the program, out on James Franklin? Let me let me just read off a little resume, and I want to get your thoughts. Okay, I got a guy. 66 years old, a little older, right? Not a young gun, not a not a young flying such guy. 66 years old, a lot of tread left on those tires though. He's a college football Hall of Famer. Okay. In rivalry games at a service academy, 11 and 1. All right. Won his divisions, won his conference, knocked off the Georgias of the world, knocked off the Florida States of the world with a roster that was never really higher than 70th or 80th in recruiting. And gee, here's the best part. Unlike James Franklin, who's an offensive guru, and a, and a quarterback coach and a quarterback's guy, but he can't throw the ball. This guy's offense won't require the quarterback to do anything down the field. This is a guy that runs his offense. They churn up yardage. They put up points, but they do it in their way. If I could bring a guy like that to Happy Valley, what I just described, 70th, 80th ranked recruiting classes, still beating the Georgias, still beating the Florida States. K 
Can, can he then bring his recruiting to a new level at Penn State, a new type of athlete, and run his offense? How would that hit you, G? I would love that. I'm trying to think who it is, but I, I can't can't put put a finger on it. The guy I want at Penn State, I think you can get him on the cheap. I think you're never going to have to worry about your receivers getting separation ever again. The guy I want roaming the sidelines moving forward, starting this year, end of this year, get him in now. Fire Franklin, get this guy in now. Bring him out of retirement. Hall of Famer, Paul Johnson. Let's fucking run the triple option. (laughs) With athletes. With actual athletes. That's what's needed at this time. That's that's a hell of a pull. That's a hell of a pull. Um, yeah, you got you got to go turn the light on, man. You're sitting in the dark. But uh, the the last thing I'll say um, about this and about the people that fear that you know he won't recruit or, or a, a new coach won't recruit to the level of Franklin, the the allure of Penn State is not James Franklin. And as much as you hate it, and as much as everybody that doesn't like Penn State hates it, the allure of Penn State is like the school, the campus, the town, the atmosphere, the big stadium, um, the fan base, the alumni. That's the allure of Penn State and the history. Not James Franklin. He is not what makes Penn State great. He's just a guy that went to East Stroudsburg and claimed himself to be a Pennsylvania guy uh, to get this job. And now everybody thinks like, oh, oh my God, if he leaves, we're not going to get anybody. Like, he's the last reason anybody's coming to Penn State. <laughs> and you you could tell me about their relationships with his, with his players and mom and dad, and we're going to make sure he goes to class. But I'm a fan of the football team. So I don't really care about that. Well, I mean, I'm a big believer. You know, in the business world, you have leading and lagging indicators, leading and lagging KPIs, right? So your sales may be uh, obviously a lagging indicator, but other things may be leading indicators. In this, in this particular business, the world of college football, wins, losses, performance are lagging indicators. What's a lead, are, are, are lagging indicators? What's a leading indicator, G? Your ability to go recruit the best talent from the best high school in the state. And that's St. Joseph's Prep. And I've said it for years. This guy never gets anybody. These kids go all over the place. you got Jeremiah Trotter Jr. playing at Clemson. you got Marvin Harrison and McCord playing at Ohio State. You had DeAndre Swift playing at Georgia. You had Alameda Zacchaeus playing at Virginia. He can't. Remember when he got hired? Dominate the state. That dried up really quickly. Where's that saying? That's what I would ask, because those are the leading indicators. And I knew there was trouble in paradise five, six, seven years ago, and I'm not sure why the fan base is happy recruiting these guys from D.C., from Virginia, from the greater Maryland area, just because James Franklin has an in with some of those high school coaches. That area stinks. That area is not awash with talent. It isn't Texas. It isn't California. It isn't Florida. It isn't Ohio and Pennsylvania. So don't don't be fooled by people that tell you how great these recruiting classes are when this guy can't recruit in his own damn backyard. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I would love to to transcribe this or you know download the MP4 video file the last thirty eight minutes and and send it to to the board of trustees, the athletic department, the president. Uh, but but they wouldn't give a shit uh, as as long as people are still filling that stadium. So that's that's what it's going to take. It's not going to happen. Uh, and we'll just we'll just move on and, and laugh at, at JF's gaffes uh, until the end of time. Uh, but moving on, if you, if you don't have anything else, am I am I good to move on? I just I just want to know: Would you, as a fan, get behind the triple option and Paul Johnson? Uh, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I'd get behind any anything. I, I'd get behind uh, the the coach of of Central Box West coming into Happy Valley. I'd get behind. Uh, my seventh grade football coach going into Happy Valley. Uh, I don't care who. Do you, do you like wearing a headset? Do you like football? Come coach in Happy Valley. <laughs> I love it, G. So moving on, uh, sticking with college football, I do want to give out some flowers uh, this week to Texas A&M University uh, as they let go of Jimbo Fisher uh, over the weekend. Even after a win, I think they won this weekend. They still let him go. But at halftime of the game on Saturday, I believe they played Mississippi State, the 12th Man Foundation donors down at Texas A&M wrote a big check to Texas A&M Athletics for approximately $160 million. And they presented it at halftime. They brought it out on the field, the big life-size check. Uh, and shortly thereafter, Texas A&M said, hey, we're flush with cash. We can handle the $76 million buyout. Let's get rid of Jimbo Fisher. Uh, so flowers this week go to the 12th Man Foundation donors for ponying up 160 mil. Only half of that needs to go to Jimbo for the buyout, and he's gone, so... I'd give them flowers, and maybe that's also on the other side a bone to pick with the the Penn State donors and the Happy Valley United and everybody giving money to the football program. You know, can we, can we pony up a check at halftime this weekend against Rutgers and then fire Franklin the next day? Wait, so I didn't know. So so literally at halftime they had a bit like one of those big lottery checks like come out on the field. Oh yeah, yeah. Here I'm looking at it right now. Can you see? Do you think at that moment Jimbo knew he was cooked? I don't because, know. Like he, he probably didn't care, man. The, the school president probably probably even like signed the back of the check and fucking wrote the wrote the account number and the routing number on the back with a big sharpie and then uploaded it via mobile upload. And he's like, "Oh shit, it just cleared, Jimbo, you're gone." Seventy six mil doesn't have to work another another day in his life. Probably not that he needed to before uh, taking the A and M job, but Would I, you take I, Jimbo? I thought that was pretty pretty funny. Bomb. I'd take anybody. I'd, I'd take anybody, anyone. I, I just, I need a change. I need a change. Like it's, I've used a number of, of metaphors throughout this, this episode, but it's almost like you're like high school girlfriend that you always fight with and then you make up and then you fight with them again and you make up and you know, it's unhealthy, you know, it's toxic, you know, late, later in your life. But like, in the moment you just you just keep going back like that's that's what's going on with Penn State like Franklin is toxic for the for the football program and it needs to go as much as everybody wants to come up with every reason to make it right it's wrong 
Agreed. All right, let's go to let's let's go to the hardwood. Um, you know, we have an eight and one football team in, in Philadelphia, uh, but we also have an eight and one basketball team in in Philadelphia with with these seventy sixers. Uh, new coach with Nick Nurse, the NBA champion with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, they subtract James Harden. They bring in a couple guys. They get a little more length, athletic, defensive, uh, and it's panned out so far. So, uh, you know, it's only November, and it's all it's all fun and games right now. Uh, but but certainly encouraging. And I I think I think getting rid of Doc, bringing in Nick Nurse, and and sending James Harden on his way are probably the best moves uh, of this Embiid. I'll even call it the post process for for our Sixer fans out there who like to correct us on when when the process started and ended and when it was post process. Whatever you want to call this era, getting rid of Doc, bringing in Nick Nurse, shipping out James Harden. That, that those have been the best moves, you know, in this this ten year span. Uh, but I do find it funny. I do find it very funny uh, that you know the Sixer faithful, a lot of them kind of mailed in this year, right? They they said it's a gap year and let's get to the end of the Toby deal and the end of the Harden deal and we'll have max slots next summer and we'll continue to build around and be like it's it's funny that that was like the sentiment and now like the Sixers start eight and one and they look good and they're they're beating up on the slop of the NBA and yeah they beat the Celtics last week. Um but I just find it so funny that like the year the fans finally like mail it in and are fed up, like the Sixers come out of the gates blazing hot. It's great. Oh, because they're all armchair armchair GMs. They're they're using the little thing online with the cap and the slots. And can we can we get rid of this contract? Can we do that contract? Like these people aren't real fans. Remember, they they co-signed tanking for over a decade. They co-signed a superstar that. Um, uh, Literally just quit basketball, Ben Simmons. Um, so it's no surprise to me that the team is performing in a year where these idiots were just mailing it in. Agreed. No. Um, I think the best part of the Harden deal was the pick swap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just throw that in at the end, right? You get you get like a couple guys, you get a couple draft picks, and then it just says pick swap. Like that's what that's what makes that's what gets those guys rocks off. Uh, those, those armchair GMs. But you you you, you had, I think you had a bone pertaining to uh to this hot six or I start. do have a bone. First I'll start with a comment, then I'll get to the bone. So firstly, um and this isn't this isn't a knock on the guy. This isn't even a knock on the Sixers. But in what other city does an athlete just get fucking rocked in a hit and run and end up in the hospital? Like like, I'm not laughing because it's you know hopefully the you know this guy gets gets well. Ubre, I don't know anything about him. But um, in what other city does an athlete just get mowed down on the streets, dude? It's the city of brotherly love, man. Dude, it's, that's that's how that, that's how we welcome them in. It's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, my bone to pick is like the return of the hijinks, and those who have been following this pod for a while know, know what I mean by that and can read between the lines. It's just the return of the jolly, the jolly hijinks from the fan base and the beat reporters and NBC, NBC Sports Philly and. You know, I, ch- I tried to watch some of that Celtics game 
and I flip it on and I totally forgot who our play-by-play announcer was. Took me took me five minutes of watching and listening to that slop to ch- turn the channel. But, um, you know, obviously Maxie off to a nice start and he drops the 50-burger. The 50-burger. So I'm flipping through the channel and um, he's at the podium and it's post-game. And they have it on the screen. It says it gives him the stat line. Here, I'll pull it up here. G has the stat line. It says Tyrese Maxey, career high 50 points tonight versus uh, Indianapolis. Or I should say Indiana, the Pacers. And then at the bottom, the little sub line where they have it in yellow with the little, you know, you'd think it's like something like, uh, you know, uh, you'd think it would read like most points by a sixer since you know, 2021, or maybe most points from a shooting guard since 1998, you know, parentheses, Allen Iverson. You you know, you'd think there's some sort of historical context there from these wonderful reporters, these wonderful stack gurus, these aficionados who are responsible for the production of these programs. But what we, we instead got was the yellow font, and it reads, Confirmed best Tyrese in the NBA. And it's it's always fun in games with this fan base. It's always fun in games with this broadcast. It's always a joke. This is professional sports. Okay? Enough of the hijinks. This team, year after year, rips your guts out. Shits on its fan base. Year after year. But early on, when everything's going good, let's all have a laugh. Let's all... Let's all have a good time. It's fucking disgusting, G. I'm sick and tired of it. It's well said. I got I got nothing to add. I, I don't disagree. <laughs> but it it it, it, it is funny because they're they're the best at at adding those little little nuances to uh, to the coverage and it just rubs you the wrong way when it's a team of chronic chronic losing but yeah good for maxi um you know i'm not gonna sit here and act like i'm deep diving basketball and whatnot but i don't think we've ever really gotten on his case and have liked his game so uh hopefully with, with harden out this you know with with the system going we tyrese can can do his thing uh, and it looks like it's going that way thus far uh eagles chiefs monday night football Chiefs laying two and a half uh, in the rematch of Super Bowl 57 at Arrowhead. Uh, hopefully, George Toma is not there. Hopefully, he's on vacation. Hopefully, he's far, far away. Otherwise, Bob, as you've previously stated, we need uh, we need to call the Flyers equipment manager uh, and get him on the flight to Kansas City uh, for Monday Night Football. Uh, but just, I mean, a- any thoughts on the game, Bob? I know we had a bye week. Uh, pretty pretty good bye week. I was down at, at at parks in the sports book with my old man Sunday. We watched the one o'clock slate. A lot of uh, a lot of close games that came down to the end. It was an enjoyable week, but uh, obviously the focus here is is on the birds. Um, there was I do want to mention, and I, I don't like to to speculate, uh, but there was some stuff floating around online of allegations of Jalen Carter and and his supposed girlfriend uh, stealing from the the self-checkout at a grocery store downtown uh, and that the Eagles bailed him out of jail quickly. Uh, My thought as it was probably Michael Rubin 
uh, who got that done. I feel like that's what he gets called in for to handle situations like that because I don't know what other value he provides to uh, to this city uh, other than, than robbing people dry for, for crap products on Fanatics. But uh, any, any thoughts on, on that situation? We'll obviously have to monitor that. Carter's been great this year. I think he's the chalk favorite for defensive rookie of the year. Any thoughts there on the game Monday night? No thoughts on the allegations. I, I do not care. Um, is that bad? I, I do not care. It, it, re, it reads That's... like a load of bullshit. Like the, the girlfriend was checking out and what, you know, how many times have I done that? I picked up the bag and waited for, you know, I don't know. Did they swipe the card? Did the mag stripe take? Did the chip that read? I don't give a fuck. Just keep rushing the passer. In fact, Jalen, let me give you a little hint here. Your boy Bomb's a Walmart Plus guy. Okay. Don't even leave your house. It all happens in the app. They'll deliver it right to your door. No need. Okay. So those are my thoughts on that situation. As for Monday night, man, this is, this is as excited as one could be for a regular season game. It's a great test. I don't think the chiefs are as good as they've been in the past. And I, I was salivating, salivating G watching Highlights of the Taylor Swift concert in Buenos Aires, Argentina. With that fucking turncoat, Scott Swift. That motherfucker wants to act like he's an Eagles fan as he's standing in the VIP tent with a fucking Chiefs lanyard around his neck. What a cocksucker. Who's Scott? Scott? Is he the old man? Taylor's dad. I mean, you're not at a Chiefs event. You want to wear it at Arrowhead, whatever. But why are you wearing a, a Chiefs lanyard in Argentina that that contains your credentials for the concert. Very strange. Like you want to be if you want to root for them, you want to root for Travis, that's great, but like dude, I thought you were an Eagles fan. Sorry, pal. Um and then you got Travis there in the VIP tents standing next to the old dad. They all went out to dinner. He's eating steaks in Argentina. You know, they're talking about the future. She's changing lyrics of the songs to include, you know, uh, a nod to Travis Kelsey. You think this guy's locked in, Jay? You think this guy's locked in for the biggest game of the year? You think Patrick Mahomes is locked in when he's running charity events in his bye week and they're auctioning off a Taylor Swift platinum album at the charity event? Do you think when, when, when Patrick gets home, or Patrick, I should say, do you think during Patrick's week off, while he's sitting at home trying to watch film. Do you think Britney's doing a good job of letting him be locked in? Do you, do you think she's she's handling that? Or do you think she's messaging Travis's new girlfriend? Because they're friends now and they're going to link up when she's back in New York and go out for drinks. Oh, honey, I, I, I just talked with Taylor. I'm going to head to New York next week. We're going to grab a couple drinks with her, Selena, and, uh, and Sophie. Is that okay? Ah, that's okay, Brittany. You're my dad and mom give us the kids. So, no, I don't think they're locked in, G. The Eagles are going to fucking work this team next week, baby. <laughs> Dude, that's that's electric. Yeah, yeah, Brit, Brittany Mahomes is probably, yeah, Pat, Pat, can you help me with uh, this platinum album for the, for, for the, the, the charity? <laughs> While he's while he's trying to break down break down tape, but yeah, the, the Chiefs, 
the Chiefs aren't aren't what they've been. I don't think, and you know that we we've had our our criticisms of of the Eagles too. So uh, it's two teams that, that typically find a way to win. Uh, you know about Andy Reid off the bye. Uh, Patrick Mahomes as like a favorite, less than a field goal is is pretty good uh, in that situation. If you're looking at you know the the gambling side of it. Uh, but I agree with you. I'm I'm very excited. Um, it's going to be an electric atmosphere at Arrowhead. Um, it obviously wouldn't make up for for the Super Bowl loss, but to go in there, you know, after Dak Prescott throws for four touchdowns and runs for another and pumping his fucking chest after beating the little Giants uh, on Sunday, and, and everybody's talking about him and he should be MVP and this and that. And people are talking about C.J. Stroud. He should be MVP. Uh, and and the, the Ravens, well, they lost, but the Ravens. And nobody wants to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, and they have an opportunity Monday night on national TV with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman uh, and, a, and a, a, a rabid Arrowhead Stadium to go in and make a statement and say, we're the best team in football. And look out, motherfuckers, because we're, we're fresh off the bye, and, and it's that time of year. It's Thanksgiving. Like, this is when we turn it on. This is when we get real. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited. I am fearful, though, of the, the coverage of this game because I watched Monday Night Football last night, and we, we talked when, when the network adjustments were made about how Buck and Aikman are on Monday night, and it's, they're usually not the best games. So – it's going to hurt to to watch the Taylor Swift nonsense kind of um, dilute, you know, Buck and Aikman because they're the best. Uh, but I, I hope that's not the case. But you know, you know, we're going to get some of it, right? So, uh, super excited. Should should be a great game. Eagles as a dog, man. Uh, I don't know if we've seen that spot yet this year. I don't know how much we've seen that spot in in the last couple of years. So, uh, chip on the shoulder, get, get Lane Johnson in in the dog mask and, and and the, the Bauer ice skates in case the field's no good. And, and let's go to war. I think it's going to be a war on, on Monday night. I'm excited. Uh, I did want to mention, and I, I really hate that we're doing this, but, but everybody is, um, but you, you talked about Travis Kelsey and I know you're infatuated with the, uh, the Taylor Swift relationship stuff and you're happy. She's with Travis cause he's, he's a guy's guy. He's a football guy tough guy i went to the 1975 concert oh, on friday no. night and lead singer of the band this guy's name is maddie healy and he is an ex of taylor swift and you know he's he's british right and she went out with harry styles he's british and they're, they're long hair greasy hair white t-shirt guys uh but I actually really enjoyed the concert. I thought, you know, this guy put on a great show. Uh, but but the contrast and style of person between, like, Travis Kelsey and this guy who's in the white tee, he's singing these, like, pop songs, or people will kill me because it's pop, because I call it pop, but whatever it is. And I, like I said, I enjoyed it. But this guy comes out on stage, lights a cigarette, he's got a glass of whiskey, and then, he, so he's he's boozing, smoking the whole nine inside the Wells Fargo Center for the whole concert. And then, like mid-concert, he swaps one of his parliaments for a joint from a fan in the front row, and he lights that up in the stadium. So you talk about a contrast in styles. I mean, you got this, and apparently this this Matty Healy, like his whole persona. This is this is what Allison tells me. Like his whole persona is like being like you know all like 
getting fucked up and like, you know, emotional and all this stuff. And then you got Travis Kelsey, who's just like catching balls and running guys over. It's, I thought you'd find that kind of oh, interesting. It's hilarious. It's, it's, uh, it's probably why it's probably why she, with, uh, with Travis Kelsey, she's a bit more uh, public with the, uh, the PDA because this is a guy that, that, uh, you know, can handle it. You know what I mean? He's not a little dinky dweeby performer or what have you. You know what I mean? He's a driven, he's a man's man, a driven guy. Yep. Yeah. He's, he, he's not afraid of any of it, as you can tell from the, uh, the, the Pfizer commercials and uh, <laughs> everything, everything else that, that he's involved with. But yeah, I don't, I don't have much else in the game. Just that it should be electric, should be a great game. And, and if the Eagles got the win, like I feel like it would be a big statement. So I'll leave it at that unless you got anything. Yeah. All right, don't forget to follow the show uh, on the socials at TFTSPod. Uh, the show is sponsored by our great friends at Menard Premium Detailing, uh, the number one detail service in Bucks County. Catch them on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and at MenardPremiumDetailing.com. And we will get to our picks uh, to wrap the show here. And uh, another sponsor of the show and of the picks segment is the... Sharps app. Uh, Sharps is a free, transparent sports betting community. Link your sports books and share your verified bets and stats with the world. Download the iOS app today, and I believe they just went live uh, on Android as well. They just made a recent update to the app. Uh, it's running well. I uh, put out the Broncos on there last night. If if you missed it, get on there. Uh, we'll link the uh, the invite uh, in the episode description for you to join. Use code TFTS977 to join up. Follow me. Follow Bomb. TFTS Pod G. TFTS Pod Bomb. Uh, see everything we're betting. Uh, you know, the record on there isn't as good, but that's what the app's all about, the transparency. But the record on the podcast picks this year, Bomb, has been nothing short of fantastic. Probably, actually, factually, better, you know, than, than the pro betters, right? They say you got to go 57% to win. Uh, as a sports better, we are sitting combined at 29 and 13. Let's see if I can do some quick math on that. 29 out of 42, 69%. We're sitting at 69% on the year. Bomb, you're, you're at 15 and six, a one on one week. Um, took the L on the Jags. I went two and oh, James Madison getting it done. And the Cleveland Browns getting it done. It was a muck game. It was a high-scoring muck game. Uh, and you got the win, obviously, uh, with Michigan. Don't We don't need to get back into that. But uh, I can start. You know, I, I come prepared. Bob, I know you shoot from the hip. And uh, it's worked out, so let's stick with it. Uh, I'm going to start 7.30 Saturday night out in Corvallis, Oregon at Reeser Stadium. Uh, the undefeated Washington Huskies go into Oregon State to take on the Beavers. And this this stuck out like a sore thumb. Undefeated Washington, Penix, you know, Heisman conversation. We talked about him a little bit here. Oregon State is a two-and-a-half-point favorite on Saturday night over the unbeaten Huskies. That tells me all I need to know. Um Give me Oregon State, minus two and a half. Great offensive line, good run game. 
shorten the game, keep Penix and company off the field. I think they got the players on defense to do enough. Uh, and the line, the line says it also. Oregon State minus two and a half on Saturday night. G loves reading those lines, man. That, that's a that's an interesting line. Well, I got a uh, I got a game here. I, I I like this game. I've looked at the board for all of ten minutes, and this is a game that I like. And let me tell you why. It has a lot to do with Texas A and M. And Texas A and M isn't isn't the game that I'm picking. I'm I'm looking at Duke Virginia. Virginia just played their balls off in a game against number 11, Louisville. They lost that game. The running back was in the hospital, all kinds of issues. But they showed a little bit of fight. I think they have two wins on the on the season. They absolutely stink. Um, however, they are uh, playing <clears throat> and hosting rival Duke. Now, Duke is 6-4. and four. They're out their starting quarterback. They're out their backup quarterback. They're playing a kid uh, whose last name is Loftus. I've watched this kid, Grayson Loftus, in a few outings so far. He hits his back foot. He delivers the football. I said, wow, this guy looks pretty good for a freshman third-string quarterback. Uh, he led Duke on three fourth-quarter touchdown drives at UNC uh, in a game UNC won 47-45. So it shows he's got a little bit of moxie. Um, so I, uh, but then I look at the head coach, Elko, Mike Elko. Gee, this guy signed a contract in July, new contract with Duke. He's doing nice things with Duke, uh, so far. However, before he joined Duke, he was the defensive coordinator at none other than Texas A&M. All right. So Duke six and four. Can they get to eight and four? Can they make head coach Mike Elko look like a viable candidate for for maybe a return to College Station? I don't know. But all I'm saying is this is a guy that desperately needs to cover this number against a lowly Virginia to keep his name out there as an up and coming head coach candidate. If he goes seven to five, if he goes six and six, I don't think there's any way you can sell that to a fan base. Like Texas A&M, they're desperate for a winner. Elko has been there. He's coached there. He's restored a Duke program to some level of significance. Can he finish this off 8-4 and four with a bowl win? That's what needs to happen to get a chance at maybe interviewing for this job. So I'm taking Duke. Laying four on the road at a bad Virginia team. Duke Blue Devils get it done. They win by double digits. I like it. No, nah, I like it, Bomb. Um yeah, Elko's Elko's a hot name for for some of those uh those vacancies, maybe even the Penn State offensive coordinator job. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean to do to do it with uh you know, with a third string QB, that would that would make it look even better for him. So good luck to Elko and and you on the the wager bomb. Uh let's go to the NFL on Sunday and I really really hate this slate of games. Uh I talked about Patrick Mahomes uh as a short favorite and thinking about Andy Reid off a bye. Uh but I'm not going there. I can't do it. Uh the Eagles are going to be ready to go. So when all else fails, the board sucks. Um what do I look for? 
I look for a team that's coming off a loss, uh, and I look for a team that's coming off of, of a big win. Um, and I, I look at a team that maybe doesn't beat up on you know good teams, doesn't win big games, but beats up on really bad teams. So I'm looking at the Miami Dolphins, uh, minus 12, hosting the Las Vegas Raiders and rookie quarterback Aiden O'Connell on Sunday. At 1 o'clock, the Dolphins are off of a bye, uh, but they lost the game in Germany to the Chiefs. Uh, Everybody's talked about Miami for weeks, how they're frauds, they can't beat anybody good. Uh, But the one thing they do well is beat up on bad teams. I like the spot here. Uh, I like the spot. It looks like Devon A-Chain might be back, uh, electric running back out of Texas A&M. The defense is getting healthy for Miami as well with Vic Fangio leading that group. Um, and, and Las Vegas, their last two games, the Giants and the Jets. Uh, so those are the last two offenses they've, they've seen, and now they're going to see Tua, Tyreek, and McDaniel and company off of a bye. I think the Dolphins blow them out. Give me Dolphins minus 12. I love that, G. I might follow you there. Let's get it. Well, I, like yourself, I looked at the slate, and I didn't really like anything. And I like your Miami pick. I was actually eyeing that game up, but I got to stick with a team that I know. I know what they are week in and week out. I know who they are. I know what they're all about. Um, and this is a bet against a bet against the result that we all agree was a disgrace last year with the the field. Um, I'll just say, George Toma is the reason for the teardrops on my guitar. I'm taking the Eagles. Two and a half. Getting the points. They went outright. Let's go, Birds, man. Let's go. Yeah, it's dude, it's a tough board. Um, so I, I I don't hate it. It's like we said, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a deep dive preview, but we touched on what, what we needed to, and it, it should be electric, and I think I think we'll leave – the people with that, unless you got any any last words to the wise. No wise words, G. All right. Well, we'll thank everybody for listening. We'll say thank you to Menard Premium Detailing. We'll say thank you to Sharps. And we'll wish everybody a great week. We'll talk to you next week after Monday Night Football at Arrowhead. Eagles Chiefs. Enjoy. Enjoy.